0: But, but again, uh, Mike just brought up two beautiful verses and, and thank God for the reality of Romans 10, 4 and, and Romans 6 and verse 14. Because we were just sharing that in Romans 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. Listen, it's for righteousness to them that believe. So the law never made a single person right or in a right, placed them in a right standing other than Jesus Christ himself. That's, what, that's the realization of John 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh. Humanity, uh, impeccable humanity, and dwelt among us, meaning he lived just like us with a human nature but never a sin nature. And then it says, and we beheld his glory. <laughs> the glory is of the only begotten uh, of God. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. And no wonder when it says it's his glory in John 1 and verse 14, that that cross... That that did away with the flesh in Romans six went through six, is what the Holy Spirit was giving to us through the Apostle Paul in Galatians six and verse fourteen. God forbid that I glory, because that's all, what the flesh will do: is think that it can take the things of God and do them on their own. <laughs> it's so silly, and so God forbid that I should glory. It says. I is crossed out because in Galatians 2 and verse verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and here is Christianity in a nutshell, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this frail body, I live by the faith, and the faith there is Ephesians 6, 16. It's all those truths about the person of Christ alone through grace alone, by absolute dependence alone, and what he has performed and finished in John 19 and verse 30. It makes it crystal clear. So when it says that, again, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe, because when we don't believe or depend upon Christ for everything that it's his glory, we're going to find something in the flesh, or even like the unsaved, something to glory in. But here's here's the precious thing about the preaching and teaching of the cross. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbids that I should glory. What it's saying there is Isaiah 42 and verse 8. He will not share the glory of his Son and him who glorified him. This is brought out in John 13, 31 and 32. He will not share that glory with anyone. Never. So God forbids that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. Of whom this whole world system is crucified unto me. And we're going to see that when we uh, share, if, if God has that, uh, some of the thoughts uh, this morning that God has for all of us. But again, God forbid that I, He forbids that I should glory. It's a present active imperative, I believe, or it's somewhere close to that. He commands it. He's not asking us. He commands it based upon the authority of his love that's finished everything about us. And what right do we have to glory when we were dead in Romans 5, 6 through 10, when we were dead, when we were active sinners and his enemies, when he bought us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, what are we glorying in? And that's why, of whom it says, the whole world is crucified unto me. Now, we are passing through the world, this world system in First Peter 2, verse 11, as strangers and pilgrims. See, everything about the world for the believer it's, it's, it's to be a stranger. And we're not to give place to that voice in John ten three right through to verse 14. We don't listen to a stranger's voice. The enemy speaks to the unsaved in deception in Revelations twelve nine, and speaks against the Christian with those words in Revelations 12, verse 10, of accusation. Accusation. Constantly. And boy, does he... Boy, does he want that to happen even between believers. You know, and and just a little sidelight, what keeps out all those satanic accusations is the reality of functioning in the forgiveness in me, each of us as individuals, thereby we can live in that life that Christ is in us with forgiveness for others. Because otherwise... There's no experience of the love of God because that's what forgiveness is. It's God constantly confirming his deep, deep love for us. And that's brought out in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. It's it's that device of Satan, that thing that separates. Instead of hearing the voice of Christ, we hear the voice of of Satan through the world speaking to the flesh. The only time... That Satan, it's brought out in 1 John 5, 18b. He can't touch the wicked one touches us not. That's position. Even our sins don't touch our position. It affects our experience. That's the thing the enemy, uh, enemy, Satan, goes after. He's trying to go after, and what can he go after? When I go turn back to the flesh that's in me, in Romans 8, 9, but that I'm not of. There's where he can touch me. He tries to touch me in my experience. And if it's not Christ without submission, and, and, and we see the process in James 4, 6 and 7, uh, again, God resists the proud, that's an unsubmitted will in a believer. God resists the proud, who but, us but gives more grace, my zona Karin, to those that he's humbled. Therefore, when you're humbled, God will give you the grace to submit your will. And when you do, and that grace is Christ in your experience, and when I do and when you do, he puts himself between you and Satan, between you and the accusation, between you and the deception. And these are really tremendous truths. So God, in Galatians 6, verse 14, forbids that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because for the believer, that cross, listen, in even this sense, how do I understand Galatians 6 and verse 14, the very beginning of that verse, uh, uh, that the whole world is crucified unto me. You know what that's, that brings out? The reality of John 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that took away the sin, dealt with the whole world system, as far as God's concern for the believer. For, for Christ himself, and for the believer that's in Christ. That's why when Christians go to the world, they think they need something other than Christ to try and escape the trials, when it's the very trials, the very trials that are that that thing, and we'll see a little bit later if God has that, that thing that is much more precious than gold because even gold will perish, but not those trials when when it's Christ with me, leading me, leading me, and dealing with me. So, in his love. So, the only way that God ever deals with us is through, is through his love, by the grace and truth that Christ is, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, we see these things in the most phenomenal way. We see these truths that are so incredible, and they are ours. And unfortunately, they're so little known. And when we function in the flesh, there's where the little is. We don't know them the way that we should. But thank God, he always provides a way back for us. He always does. And so in Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. And this is brought out in Psalm 139, beautifully, in verses uh, 7 through 12. In the most phenomenal way. But the reality is that God is preparing us through the suffering of trials. That's not a bad thing. That's a good and healthy thing that God has for us. And he uses whatever the enemy means for evil in Genesis 50 verse 20. God himself means it for what? For good, That's why it says in Romans 8 and verse 28, all things work together for the good. The good there is the good that God is in and through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to you and I. To them that love God, return that love, receive that goodness, return that love and obedience. To them that love God and are called according to what? The flesh's purpose? No. No. Christ, God's purpose, and that is Christ be who first glorified the Father in propitiation, thus becoming the substitute, and in that glorification for us, thereby being reconciled. And we see that clearly in Colossians 1 and verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. So all these things that happen to us, they don't happen to us arbitrarily. They're not ambiguous. They're very plain, lit up in the scriptures. They're for our sakes. The trials that we go through are for our sakes. Why? Because it has to do with the goodness, the very nature, character, and essence of God himself in Christ for us. And that's why it takes the Holy Spirit to take those things of Christ minus the flesh because remember we'll go back to Galatians six and verse fourteen if if i don't experience the cross that crucified the flesh positionally and I go back to it experientially i'm seeking glory for myself i have I think I have rights <laughs> you listen a dead man has no rights because he's not living that's us in Christ that's what the cross did. God forbids that you and I should glory <laughs> Glory. The the trials are not for us to glory and complain and tell everybody about all the bad things we're going through. That's not a trial. That's the flesh. (laughs) Okay? God forbids that I glory. Woe is me. No, it's bringing out Christ, and that's the way He does it. He's bringing out Christ in those earthen vessels the preciousness and treasure that Christ is in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So, God forbids that I should glory except on the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the whole world system crucified unto me. Yes, the whole sin question, as far as God's concerned, that's it. It's gone. It's dealt with. That's propitiation. God has been propitiated. And we've been taught in Genesis 22 and verse 8, God will provide himself a lamb, and that lamb in John 1, 29 was Christ. He, he behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin, not sins, the sin of the whole world as far as God's concerned. Why did Christ die? Well, for us, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, and this is where the trials even teach us this. The trials are are the constraining that God uses for his love to constrain us and hold us in this vice. Otherwise, we would fly off and wander in the world just like the unsaved. So we know in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge, discern, that if one died, and that's Christ, we see that in Romans the 5th chapter, you can look there, you can look there from 18 to the end of the chapter, one died, but so if one died, why why did one die? Christ, why did He have to die? Because all outside of Christ dying, propitiating the Father and being the substitute for all—all all were dead. But notice what it says: that they that live, and that's verse fifteen, should stop living for themselves. Oh, woe is me! Everything's me. <laughs> wrong object. You know, you have the wrong object. There's only one object as far as God's concerned, and that is Jesus Christ himself. That's God's view of himself- of everything. And everything concerning you and I, it's why it says in Job 36 and verse 7, God never removes his eye from the righteous. And Christ, we know, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, is our righteousness. So again, the law the law that we were that we were just that uh, mike brought up and using those verses very beautifully and a, and a great thought from god that law is not just those 10 commandments and those uh, 613 statutes and ordinances no Here, but that law is the law of sin and death because all the law trying to do something that christ already finished is just sin and it brings out the evil of the flesh That's why any teaching outside of Jesus Christ, no wonder Paul said in Galatians 1, 6-9, if there's any other creature, any other being, angel, man, doesn't matter, preach any other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. It's something that came from hell. Literally. To add in Deuteronomy 4, 2, in Deuteronomy 11, verse 32, in Proverbs 30, in verse 6, In Revelations 22, 18 and 19, God forbid that we should add anything, add anything to what Christ finished and glorified God Almighty. This is the world. This is adding. A Christian, Christian thinking they have to add other things than Christ to be happy, to be comfortable. Well, if you go on vacation, you and I, if we go on vacation, just you know, and, and it's not Christ. What are you taking with you? We're, that's what's so vital about we. I don't care who we're with. We never we never function properly, even in our own individually, apart from a local assembly. We just don't. That's Ephesians four eleven to sixteen. You can see it crystal clear. So if I go someplace else, Why, why am I going there? Am I being sent? That would even go into the proper function of a local assembly, by the way. <laughs> that would even go into that, by the way. No private plans. You know where we get private plans, don't you? We get them from privately interpreting the Word of God in Second Peter one twenty. And it was never, the Word of God was never given to the will of fallen man. It was only one who ever completed the will of of God the Father in John 4 and verse 34, who finished the works in 19.30 of John. It was Jesus Christ fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm forty-seven and 8, literally. And so we can see that. So, okay, so Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ, period. Again, we've said it before. We'll say it again. If it adds... To them that walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In that verse, you can cross that out. It's not in any original Greek manuscript or any, any original language of the Koine Greek whatsoever. You cross it out. I do it in every, every one that I have where it's not. I cross it out. Why? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's why the Spirit of life. Listen, the Spirit of life is the Holy Spirit bringing out the reality of the life that Christ is in me. Otherwise, we need to try the spirits in 1 John 4.1 to know which spirit is leading us. Because many can be seduced in 1 Timothy 4.1 and 2, crystal clear, be seduced away from the faith. That's the person of Christ and the work that he's accomplished for each and every single individual. And so, what what, what tremendous truths that we have we have this morning. For the law of the spirit of life, in Romans 8, verse 2, of the spirit of life, in Christ Jesus, has, past tense, in the Greek, it's a past tense, right? Has made us free from the law of sin and death. You see, that's the law that we've been delivered from. The law of sin and death. Because all that the law brings out, legalistic teaching in the law, the flesh trying to do something for God, when all's been finished, only by Jesus Christ, all it does is bring out the evil. That's brought out in Romans 7, verse 12. The law is holy, just, and good. We know that it's holy, just, and good. Well, was in that, that was found good in verse 13, found to be death unto me? No, God forbid. It's just revealing to you and I, as believers that are in Christ, taught or untaught, rebelliously, stubbornly, ignorantly, makes make, make any difference, doesn't make any difference. The fact is this. The fact is this, that that... It's just the law reveals that even before you try to do anything outside of Christ, it's going back to sin and flesh. And the last time that we checked in Psalm 51 and verse 4, sin is evil. It just brings out the evil nature. So he's teaching us, he's teaching us that the believer still has that nature in them that they're not of in Romans 8, verse 9. That's what the words in, I can't stress it enough. I I think we just just go by this for some reason. The word in and of are very explicit in learning the word of God, understanding it and being taught. See, Romans 8, 9, the flesh is in me, but I'm not of it. Well, why is it still in me? Why is that? Because God's plan is perfect because he's constantly teaching us until we see him face to face. Because we're still, we have been delivered from the power of sin as we've been taught, just like those that are in heaven. We're equal. We have been delivered from the power of sin. Hebrews two fourteen and 15. Hebrews nine twelve to 14. We have already been delivered from the power of sin. Just like those in heaven. The only difference is those that are in heaven that are with Christ face to face have been delivered from the presence of sin. We have not yet been delivered delivered from the presence of sin. Why? Because there's things that we're learning. And that's why it's there. We're constantly learning the submission of our will and how extremely important it is. And so, again, again and again and again, these trials... That God gives us trials, not for us to, to, to complain and build ourselves up and oh, woe is me. Oh, look what happened to me. I know. Look what happened in the Holocaust. Okay? And then, you know, just measure that with what you're going through. Well, and what's going on in Ukraine or North Korea or believers all over the world being tortured and beaten and, and then compare we need to quit like we need to be men in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. And then you allow, then when it's not you, you do all things in love. You, you will do all things in love, not charity, love. <laughs> okay? And and uh, understanding it in this way. So, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. It keeps me the cross is that thing that's been done that keeps the world out of me, and that's Christ. Listen, that's Christ, and then me out of the world. Why? Because the the cross that when when Jesus Christ, and this is for the believer only, by the way. Galatians six verse fourteen is for the believer alone. Why? Because. The world has been crucified unto me. That's who I am in Christ. That's that's me recognizing that God has propitiated himself in Genesis 22 and verse 8. He had to be propitiated. I had to be reconciled. And then that's why it says, of whom the whole world is crucified unto me. We don't live by the world, by the things of the world and I unto the world. <laughs> so what Jesus did in propitiating the Father, thus becoming the substitute for us and to, for us to be reconciled to him, what happened? He crucified me. That's why. That again, that again is bringing out the beauty. Galatians 6 verse 14 is bringing out the reality once again in 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. And that's what trials are. It's teaching us and keeping us separated. The word comes in. How often should the word come in? As often as we need it. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul. Woe is me and spirit. Thank God. Thank God. Because we're passing through suffering. Listen, and that's what we wanted to get to Uh, this morning. This is what the the Holy Spirit was giving the Apostle Peter. Just read this briefly, and this is what it says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithya, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is not a mystery, okay? All those that are elect are those that chose to receive Jesus Christ as their savior. It's not some fatal thing. It's not some lie that God elected apart from the free will of any individual, some to be saved and some to go to hell. That has nothing. That's attributing evil to God in James 1 and verse 13. It's got nothing as simple as that. Some say, oh, you have to be you know, careful, and there's a precious man of God that I know and studied very, very early 70s, and he had volumes. There were like seven or eight of them, they, now they're three. And he would even say, be careful how, you know, you be careful how you study elect. No, I'm going to tell you, it's, just, it's just as simple as this. Okay? Election had to do first with God's will, but meeting your will. God is free in his will. You have a free will. You have a need you can't fill. As soon as you receive Christ, as soon, as soon, okay, and th- when you did that, you were elect. Okay? It's very simple. It's not complicated. It's not complex. It's just when you go trying to search knowledge and listen to all, all the opinions and thoughts that don't have anything to the word of God that adds to the confusion of that and makes it so it's, that it's hard. God is not the author of confusion. And that's election too, by the way in 1 Corinthians 14, but of life and peace, and that's Christ. All those that are elect in him, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father, through sanctification, separating positionally, now experientially in growth, of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, has to take the Word, and he, he becomes that theologian and scholar that does the separating. It's got nothing to do with the flesh. I don't know the love of God until it's revealed to me, and that takes God, (laughs) the Holy Spirit, to take the things of Christ. In John 16, 13, 14, show them unto me, and that's that spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered into the mind of man the things that God has, past tense, already prepared for them that love him, but they're not known otherwise and only and they're only known through God, the Holy Spirit. See, it takes God to reveal God. It's got nothing to do with a man who, who and, and, and by the way, I don't see the gift of theology or the gift of scholarship. That only comes from God, the Holy Spirit, who's the only theologian and scholar. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience. Notice that. Does that have anything to do with my will? Why, what's obedience needed for if his election just has to do with God's will and that's it? You see the fallacy of teaching that kind of thing? And from how, how satanically evil it is? Believer, live, just live any way you want. Jesus paid for you. No, he didn't do that. He didn't die so you could live any way you want. Again, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And a bunch of other scriptures besides that obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter's mind is going back, and the Holy Spirit's teaching him. Do you remember Israel in Exodus 12 and 1 through 13? The death angel was going to come, but they had to take the, take the blood of an innocent victim, the blood, take, take the hyssop, and that speaks of faith, dipping it, striking it on the two-side posts and on the lintel. You go in, and you feast on the lamb and have bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs, they're basically, truthfully, for us in is teaching, 2 Corinthians 7.10, there is a godly sorrow in our learning and our growing, but it's never with regret, ever, ever. Because God never changes his mind about what he's completed through his son. You see that in Numbers 23, even in the types 19 to 23. God has wrought a great work through Jesus Christ. It started with him being propitiated, the Father, and then, Christ, and then God was able to give Christ as that, sap, that substitute for whosoever, with their free will, would receive Christ and become reconciled to God as their Father. And this is brought out in John 20 and verse 17. So, here it is, right here, as we wrap it up this morning. Uh, to the sprinkling of the blood, they went in there, and then the death angel passed over them. And that's what's the Passover. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Christ is our Passover. He's our Passover. All the judgment, all the judgment that my sins deserved. I deserved to live apart from Christ for all eternity and in the lake of fire with all my sins still on me. The unfortunate and terrible thing about hell and the lake of, lake of fire is you'll still have your sins on you. You'll still have all those, not us, but the unsaved. You'll have all those lusts and desire all those things, but never have it met. Because you didn't meet the one through receiving him. And you'll see that at the great white throne in Revelations 20, 11 to 15. Thank God we're not in Sunday school. Seriously. And, I, and I'm being thankful with you. I am, I am submitted with you and saying thank you, God, that uh, I don't have to live in Sunday school or a nursery, but that I can grow up and have a deep relationship with you based upon these unbelievable, precious realities. You're gonna see in Peter, in, in, fer, in the first epistle and the second epistle of, of Peter, how he, so much was precious to him about Christ. So much, and when he's not precious, We'll go to other things and lose the preciousness of that love. We'll, we'll leave that first love in Revelation 2 and verse 4. But he never leaves us, thank God. But sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, grace unto you, obviously. You never deserved it, but it's yours freely that you received. And peace as a result, what? Be multiplied. You see, that's what I meant, but we're not in Sunday school. He wants to multiply and bring out the beauty of these, of the preciousness of Christ in each vessel so that each vessel becomes that, that literal manifestation and revelation of that treasure that's within a weak and frail body, but yet weak, but all the strength of the treasure of God himself through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that? And I see it with you in Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, eh, his much mercy, his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a living hope. We have an inheritance, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Look at uh, how uh, so many, even the Sadducees, they never believed and the resurrection. The Pharisees did. Jesus had to teach them that in Matthew 22 and verse 30 when the Pharisees were trying to trip Jesus up, God and humanity. (laughs) Sadducees never did. You see that in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter? You can start in the teens and go to the end, especially uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 18, 19, 20, and down through we of men we would be most miserable if Christ did not raise from rise from the dead but we know that based upon also Romans 8:11 and here again in 1st Peter 1 and verse 3 unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead he took us out of the dead did you know that he took us out of all that's dead and brought us into the life that he is before God oh boy so amazing and, and uh, so amazing. And I was just blessed again just, just to see uh, Mike and how he was just overwhelmed with the grace of God. And uh, we'll have all eternity for that, but I love that we have it now. You know, God's already fit us for eternity as we pass through in time, because Christ is that eternal life in First John 5:11, so that we can know God, the Father in John 17:2 and three, that we can know Him now. In Philippians 3 and verse 10, I want to know him. You want to know him? It's great to be taught those things that are ours in Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, yes. Do you want to go deeper? Yeah. How about the fellowship of his sufferings? That he is apportioned to each one of us, apportioned it, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, and in Colossians 1 and verse 24, that for each of us as an individual to fill up that, that would have still been Christ's had he still been on this earth. But you know, in one sense, as he's in heaven interceding for us, he's in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the vessels of his glory, his glory, and bring out as an epistle, a written epistle, the things that are Christ in 2 Corinthians 3, in those first six verses. So as we close this out this morning from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. It's incorruptible and undefiled. And that inheritance is ours. We are passing through on our way to receive it. It's ours. It's in the bank. And no robbers can break through and steal what God has accomplished through Christ as he sits at his right hand. Psalm 110 verse 1. Revelations 1 and verse 20. He sits at the right hand. That's a bank where thieves and robbers won't won't break through and steal and moth and rust won't defile it or corrupt it. In Matthew 6, 19 to 24. No, no, not there. We have this inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled. It doesn't fade away. Gold will. See, the thing about... Gold will fade away, but also, and that's our trials. We'll see it in 7 we We'll finish this up, uh, most likely, if God has it. It's some it's, um, very future time, in the next few days. Gold perishes, but also fire purifies the gold and separates all impurities from it, and that's the flesh. That's why we're here, separating us. In Hebrews 4.12, separating and purifying us and getting us ready. To see him face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And to have fellowship with him for all eternity and feast on the hidden manna in Revelations 2 and verse 17. As he gives us a white stone, and the white stone is the revelation of who he is. And he's going to write our name, and he writes our name on it. What he has glorified in himself and glorified us in he writes it, and that speaks of a depth of an intimate fellowship for all eternity. Oh boy, Christ is our inheritance. And Father, thank you. We have this inheritance and this living hope. And you're bringing us through. You're taking us through here as strangers and pilgrims in First Peter 2, 11. Here we have no continuing city in Hebrews 13 and verse 14, but we're worshiping you in 13:15 of Hebrews on our way to see you first and foremost, and to be with all our other loved ones that are in you. And we'll all be around your throne. We'll all fill up our place. In Revelations 5, 9 to 12, and we will sing the song of eternity, the eternal song, worthy is the Lamb. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.